Hello, and welcome to Soulfessions. I'm your host, Molly Ray. To live a life full of joy, happiness, and connection, to connect with our most authentic self, we must be willing to confess where we are in life. I have worked through many traumatic life events, including giving birth to twins three months early. My healing began when I was ready to confess exactly how I was feeling and the work I needed to do to release the pain. I honored my feelings and used my loving connection with music in the healing process. Join me as I speak honestly about my journey and how you can begin your journey of healing and finding joy. It all starts with a soulfession. Hello, it's Molly. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today, and I hope you're having a fantastic week thus far. Today, I want to share with you about my children's. My girls celebrated their eighth birthday on May 22nd. And for those of you who have listened to previous podcasts, you know that I have twin daughters, and they were born three months early. My due date was August 23rd, and they entered the world May 22nd. I often joke that they wanted to be Gemini twins. But in all seriousness, giving birth to children three months early was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And I want to talk a little bit about that today because I know that there are a lot of parents who gave birth to preemies and micro preemies or babies who had to have surgeries and have a stay in the NICU. And for those of us, us, for those of us who have had this experience, it can be very challenging to overcome the emotions that occur. And many of us suffer from post-traumatic stress. And some of us are aware of it and some of us are not aware of it. But I want to share with you today my story, my experience. And I'm hoping that by sharing my story and experience with having micropremies, that it will give people who have never had this experience or know someone that has this experience, a little bit of insight and how you can support that person and just to have a better understanding of what it's like to go through an experience like this. And for those of you who have had this experience, I hope that hearing my story will give you the opportunity to know that you are not alone in how you may be feeling. It's very easy to get caught up in the stereotypes of what pregnancy should look like and feel like. And I am one of those people 
who I, when I got pregnant, my husband and I, you know, we got married and said, let's try for a child. And my first ultrasound, we found out it was two, which was shocking and exciting at the same time. But throughout my pregnancy, all I could think about was I just need to take care of myself and take care of my body the best way that I know how so that I am able to take care of the children that are growing inside of me. And you've got all these typical things that occur during the pregnancy where you might have ultrasounds. I was blessed to have more than one ultrasound due to having preemies. Well, not even due to having preemies, but due to having twins because they are, you are considered higher risk pregnancy when you have multiples. But I was, you know, looking forward to the childbirthing classes and looking forward to the third trimester when everybody kept telling me who has been pregnant before me would tell me about how you can feel the babies more and you can feel the babies kicking more and this, that, and all of the experiences that come with that. And I remember telling my husband right away, I want to try to have a natural birth. That was important to me. I wanted to try and have the babies as naturally as possible. I remember even telling him that if I can do it without taking any drugs, I would prefer to do it that way. So I worked really hard during my pregnancy to keep eating so I wouldn't get nauseated too much or have morning sickness. And I tried to drink enough. And as I was approaching the end of my second trimester, I started having horrible back pain. And I remember feeling cramping in my stomach and talking to the doctors about it. And they kept telling me, oh, it's just Braxton Hicks. And I, had a, I have degenerative disc disease in my back. So they thought that maybe I slipped a disc um, because I really carried the girls forward. It was really <laughs> forward heavy and how I carried them. So I was really struggling. I was having a lot of pain. I was exhausted. I was having terrible acid reflux. And my stomach was so big, it looked like I was beyond full term, to the point where I was almost touching the steering wheel of my vehicle. So I had already set the intention that my third trimester, I was going to put myself on bed rest. I was going to stop traveling to teach because I traveled several days a week to teach lessons. And I had already set this intention. I was going to go until the end of May. And then I was going to teach online and teach solely out of my house. And I was going to set my schedule so that I had breaks and could lay down. And I had this whole beautiful plan of how to 
give my body what it needed and give my children what they needed so that they could come full term. And I, I even cut back on weddings. I made sure I didn't have any weddings scheduled in July and August. Man, I did all of these elaborate things. My childbirthing classes were supposed to start in June. I was looking forward to that. However, this pain I was having was not getting any better. And on May 21st of 2011, I had a wedding scheduled and I drove myself about 45 minutes away from home, lugged my equipment. Well, I didn't lug all my equipment. I actually took my time and had help from a friend, if I'm being honest. But I still had to walk up a hill. And I remember being in so much pain while I was playing. I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, it's going to be really tough next three months, but I have to mentally prepare for it. I played that wedding and I drove home and I struggled to drive home because I was in pain. And I spent that whole night just standing up crying. I couldn't sit. I couldn't lay. Um, No matter what position I was in, I was really uncomfortable. My stomach hurt. I was super nauseated. I didn't know what was going on. I remember crying and crying and telling my husband, this is what is going on. Like, if this is what this looks like for the next three months. This is going to be really challenging for me. I went through all those things. But still, that whole week, I had literally had two doctor's appointments that week. And everybody said, it's just Braxton, Braxton Hicks. It's just Braxton Hicks. And you're back. You're bad back. And I laid down that night. About 11.30, I heard a swoosh. And I thought to myself, I just went to the bathroom. It, it felt like, like I peed myself. And I thought, what is this? And I jumped up out of bed. And I went into the bathroom and it just felt like a waterfall. Now, mind you, I had no idea what was going on. I literally didn't have birthing, child birthing classes yet. I had no clue. And I remember going and standing into the bathtub because whatever was coming out of me was not stopping. And I called for my husband. It's like practically midnight at this point. And I called for my husband and I said, I don't know what's going on. Right away, he said, call your mom. And my mom says, honey, I think your water broke. You need to get to the hospital. And I'm literally standing in the bathtub. And I really don't think it's quite registered yet. And I kept saying, well, how am I going to go? I can't, like, things are dripping out of me. And she told me, put on a dress and sit on a towel. And you need to get to the emergency room now. Thank goodness we are close. We're about 15 minutes from a top-notch hospital in the area. And so my husband drove me as quickly and safely as he could to the emergency room. And the first words out of their mouth was, oh, did you let him know you were coming? Thinking, no, I don't even have the number. (laughs) I don't even have the number. to. I don't even know what floor it's on. Like, it was crazy. Because remember, I did not have childbirthing classes. I didn't know what was going on. So they called up to the maternity floor. 
They got me a wheelchair. They wheeled me up there. They're like, oh, does this look familiar? I'm thinking, no, this does not look familiar. I have not been up here. I don't have any clue what's going on. It was crazy. And they checked, they checked me and one of my daughters broke her water. And they looked at me and said, we're going to try to stop this now. And we're just going to keep you in the hospital. And hopefully we can keep you in here as long as possible and, and keep these babies in for as many weeks as we can. So then I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I literally have a wedding to play tomorrow. I need to find a replacement. I have all these lessons I need to cancel. There's bills that need paid. I'm going to be stuck in a hospital for months. I, instead of dealing with the fact that my children might be coming early, my mind coped with that by focusing on all of the things that needed to get done. I'm not saying that's the best way to handle it, but it was like the way I went into survival mode in that moment. And then the unthinkable happened. The next day in the afternoon, I got up to use the bathroom and I felt terrible. I was shaking. I had heart palpitations. I was nauseated. I knew something was wrong with my body. And I talked to the doctor and I didn't know what was going on. I told the doctor, there's something wrong. At this point, though, the babies seemed fine. They were rolling around in my stomach. Their heartbeats sounded good. And there was this part of me that was just not worried about them. Like I knew that they were fine. There was just something within myself, within my soul that just knew that they were fine. But I was not fine. I did not feel right. So they checked my temperature and my temperature was fine. However, I don't get a fever. Even as a child, I didn't get a fever. So I tried to talk to the doctor and I explained to him, I don't get fevers. And they kept saying, well, we think you have an infection, but normally you get a fever. And I said, I don't get fevers. So I just kept describing everything in my body that felt off, that didn't feel right. And this is one reason why it's so important for us to be in tune with our bodies and ourselves, because we know our bodies better than anybody. And it is so important that if something doesn't feel right within our body, that we speak up. And that day, I adamantly explained all my symptoms to the doctor. And he got together with some colleagues and they discussed it and came back to me and said, yeah, we're pretty sure that you've developed an infection and we are going to have to take these babies. If we wait too long, you could end up septic and we don't want that to happen. Now, mind you, at that point in time, I did not understand the severity of this situation. I didn't understand the importance of the the importance of all of them having to come out immediately. I knew that they knew what was best for them, but I at the time did not realize that if they didn't take them when they did, it is very possible we all might not be here today. 
And that was a pretty scary realization after my emergency C-section. And the emergency C-section was very scary. As due to my degenerative disc disease, when they tried to give me an epidural, the needle kept slipping. And it was so painful. And once they gave it to me, it did not numb my stomach. And again, I am so grateful that I spoke up because when they started to put the clean, the iodine or whatever it's called on my stomach before they started surgery, I could feel it. And I said right away, hey, you could have warned me that this was so cold and they're going, well, you shouldn't be feeling that right now. So they started poking at me going, do you feel this? Do you feel this? I was like, yeah, it feels like you're pushing a scalpel into my skin. Well, immediately they said, oh, this didn't work. We have to put you to sleep. Here I am now getting ready to have emergency surgery. I just painfully had to feel this needle slipping off of my, um, I don't know what it was, cartilage or something in my spine for I don't know how long, and it didn't work. And now you have to put me to sleep. So they put me to sleep. And when I came to, the only thing that mattered to me, no matter how delirious I was when I came to, the only thing that mattered to me was knowing if my children were alive. You know, most parents, even if you have a C-section, are awake and the baby comes out and it's such this glorious celebratory experience. And you get to hear the baby cry and you get to hold the baby. I didn't get that. And I still mourn it today. I just needed to know my babies were alive. That's what was important to me in their birth. And I'm happy to say that they were, as you know, because they're still here. But that was just the beginning of the journey. So this was about two o'clock in the morning when I came out of the recovery room. And of course, I couldn't go see my children. Um, I ended up having to go back to my room. And very early the next morning, I got to talk to the doctor. And the doctor said to me, thank God we took them when we did. Because when we opened you up, you were steaming. That's how hot you were inside. And they had to put me on two rounds of antibiotics through an IV. And they were doing the same with my children. The doctor also informed me that not only did I have the traditional C-section, but I had what's called a classic C-section where they have to cut you both ways. And this was due to my daughter who broke her water, was trying to come out, and I guess her sister was in her way, and she ended up getting stuck in my pelvic bone area. So they had to cut me the other way in order to try to safely get her out. Well, mind you, I am a very determined person 
And all that mattered to me in that moment was that I see my children. And nothing was going to stop me from seeing them. So I got myself up out of bed about five hours, five, six hours after surgery and walked myself to the bathroom to use it. And when I was finally done with my IVs, they allowed me to go up to the NICU. And of course, they insisted I take a a, um, wheelchair up. But going up to the NICU and thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to see? What are they going to look like? My husband, their dad, he did briefly get to see them that evening. However, our one daughter, her lung collapsed. And they were working on her um, because she, this is the one who broke her water. She had a lot more complications as she was breathing in the infection. She had a lot more lung problems. And of course, this scared him to death as these nurses are running around trying to take care of her. And he really couldn't give me a very good assessment of how they were because he was coping with this whole experience in his own way. But they got me up there and there's a special way you have to wash your hands before you go in. And there's all these special things you have to do to prepare to get into the NICU. And then we were able to see our babies. And they were in little tiny isolettes. Adriana came into the world at two pounds, one ounce, and 13 inches. That was her weight. And naturally, of course, she, after she was born, she was down to one pound, 11 ounces. And Kiana started at one pound, 14 ounces, 12 inches. And then her lowest weight was a pound and a half. And we saw Adriana first. She was in her little isolate bed and she was hooked up to breathing machines. And she had, you know, the monitor pads and she just hooked up to a lot of things. And the only way I could touch my child was by putting my hand through a tiny hole. And she was so delicate. And her skin was so delicate. Um, I was two days shy of my third trimester. So they were born at 26 weeks. And I went... After we saw Adriana, I went over and saw Kiana. And of course, she was littler. <laughs> but even with the the breathing machine that she was on, because there are multiple breathing machines in the NICU. Some help you breathe more, um, assist you in your breathing more than others. And it just depends on the development of the baby's lungs. And she, she was so feisty. The nurse kept rolling up this towel 
and putting it up against her feet so that she wouldn't roll down in the isolate. And they had her all bundled up in a blanket. And she kept kicking her feet out and propping her feet up on this rolled up towel. And the interesting thing about it was, even though I saw them in this way, even though they were little and hooked up to all this, these machines and hooked up to all these monitors, there was something within me that still had faith, that still knew that they would be okay. They are some of the strongest people I have ever met. And that day in the NICU, the nurses said to me, we have our own language up here. And it might take a a while for you guys to get used to what, what it is. And they gave us this folder with the list full of terminology and things like that. And it was in that moment that I knew that I needed to learn as much as I could about what those terms mean and about the whole NICU process. Because I knew that the more I could educate myself in what was going on, the better I would be able to communicate with the doctors and nurses and the better that I would be able to understand what was going on. We spent 147 days in the NICU. And my children were blessed to come home together. And I truly believe that the only reason why that happened was because of their bond as twins. Kiana had the opportunity on several occasions to be able to go home first, and that child literally sabotaged herself from making that happen. And I knew, I know it's because she knew her sister wasn't ready yet. But for me, I spent as much time up there as I could. I would go up in the morning for several hours, come back and teach, go back up again. It was definitely difficult in the first several weeks when I couldn't drive. And thankfully, my mom was there to help out so I could get to the NICU. But the, one of the biggest things that I learned from the NICU experience is that it is so important to support your children in whatever way that you can. I think that it can be easy to think that, oh, I have the doctors are there, the nurses are there, and they've got care around the clock, but it doesn't, it's not the same as having your mom. It's not the same as having your parents. And I understand that some circumstances, parents can't, didn't, don't have the luxury like I had of being 15 minutes away from the NICU. And I totally get that. But I also know that if a parent can be there to support their child, 
even if it's for a little bit, even if it's only for a few times a week or once a week or whatever it needs to be, that child needs you. They need to know that you're there because a, the bond between a mother and their child is like no other. And there were many times in that NICU where I knew something wasn't right with my children. And I had to speak up and advocate for them. And every single time I spoke up, I spoke up and advocated for them. I, what I felt was going on was what was happening. Or what I felt wasn't quite right was exactly wasn't what wasn't quite right. And I know that taking the time to learn and understand the, the vocabulary of the NICU, the terminology, allowed me to speak the doctors and nurses language in a way that we were all able to work together as a team. And this is truly important because the parents are just as much of the team as the doctors and nurses, and they should be treated that way. And I made sure that the girls, doctors, and nurses knew and understood that I was just as much of that team, and I was just as much on that team as they were. And I'm so grateful for all of the things that I learned in the NICU because when they came home, I felt a lot more comfortable dealing with the medical things that they came home with. Both of my kids came home with NG tubes and I had to learn how to insert those tubes into them because quite frankly, my kids didn't like those too much, but they just weren't quite ready to eat on their own either and would pull them out. And then I would have to put them back in again. But they literally came home with medications that were necessary for them. And I did a lot of administering of medication, putting in of NG tubes. And there was a lot of diaper changes and a lot of feeds. Their feeding schedule wasn't the same. Um... I was super sleep deprived, as most parents experience. But the biggest takeaway that I want to leave you with today is that we can get so caught up in societal stereotypes of what things look like and feel like or how things should go. But sometimes our story is not stereotypical. And just because I did not have what you call a normal or typical pregnancy, our normal just was different. And as terrifying as it was to give birth to such tiny babies, at such, at six months gestation, that experience has made me stronger. And it has taught me not to be afraid 
to truly share my emotions and that it's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to still grieve. And it's important that people who have not had this experience to understand that many times when you're in emergency mode, and what I mean by that is when you're having an experience, a life or death experience, which I'm going to talk about each girl's medical experience a little more in depth on a different podcast. But when you are just surviving or just trying to survive and your focus is solely on your children and your children's survival, there's very little time to feel any kind of pain and sadness that comes with that experience. And for me, I was so focused on keeping my children alive that it wasn't until years later when we finally overcame the majority of the medical things that were going on with them that I started to really feel. Now, I had my moments when I would come home from the NICU and I would ugly cry, but I never truly had the opportunity to really feel all of the emotions that come out of having babies born that early. I never had the opportunity to grieve the birthing birthing classes, the third trimester. I had to grieve missing my third trimester. I had to grieve how painful it was not to be able to even see my children when they were first born. I had to allow myself to grieve the fact that Kiana, I didn't even get to hold for weeks. I didn't even get to hold my children right away. I have had to grieve and give myself permission to let go of the fact that I didn't get all of these things that I got to see friends experience with having children the stereotypical way. And I'm not saying that my friends who had babies had it easy because they had their own challenges within their pregnancies and birth, but I didn't even get a baby shower until my kids were born. And I'm so grateful for what my friends did give. But even in that, it was so hard to celebrate the birth of my children when at that time I didn't even know if they were going to make it to the next week. That is a terrifying feeling. Getting up every day and not knowing their kids are going to make it through the day. But they did. They made it. And I know that every time I have feelings to release regarding their initial experience coming into this world, I know that I need to give myself that time to feel those feelings. Because the more I let them out, the more I release them, the less I'm carrying it. 
and the more I give my permission myself permission to let it go. So for anyone out there who understands what I'm saying, who has had this experience, you are not alone. And give yourself permission to talk about it and give yourself permission to share the story and give yourself permission to sh- to cry when you need to or get mad about it if you need to get mad about it whatever you need to feel but release it release it because we can- it's difficult for us to truly see how amazing our kids are if we're still hanging on to the pain And for those of you out there who say things to people who've had these experiences like, well, why are you sad now? They're fine. They're fine now. Why are you still crying about it? I just want you to understand that many of us did not have time to feel while they were sick or while they were fighting for their life or while they were having surgeries. We didn't have time to grieve then because we were too busy keeping our babies alive. So please find it in your hearts to find empathy and compassion for the people who may be struggling 10 years after their their babies were born early or parents who didn't even start to feel feelings until their kids were out of the house. You know, we all take our bodies, carry that grief until we can't handle it anymore. Or our bodies carry that grief until we're mentally and emotionally ready to release it. And all that I ask from anyone out there who sees someone having a similar experience to just show some empathy and be an ear for that person. And if they need to cry, just let them cry. So I hope today that this story about my children's micropremie birth has given you a little bit of insight inside what it feels like to have a non-typical pregnancy and birth experience. And if you are somebody who is struggling to feel your feelings in a safe place, please feel free to reach out to me. I do offer coaching classes and would love to help you move past this, move past the pain and past the experience. And if you're just wanting to share your story and share your experience, please reach out on my Facebook page, Tune In With Molly, so that we can all have an honest conversation about it and so that we can all support one another. Have a beautiful and blessed week love and light to all of you. Thank you for tuning in with me today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please like it and share it with your friends and family. 
to learn more about my soul movement coaching, sound therapy, and other services, you can visit my website at www.tuneinwithmolly.com.